Welcome to the God's Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kelly. In our podcast, we talk with interesting people who understand that true justice arises out of personal transformation and that broken souls and communities experience transformation through redemptive personal relationship with God's people. We hope these conversations will help you understand how you can join God in His revolutionary work of restoring justice to our broken world. In this episode, we're talking with Brad Briscoe about a couple of the biggest barriers that keep Western Christians and churches from effectively sharing the good news of God's kingdom. Brad is a longtime church planting catalyst and now directs bivocational church planting efforts for the North American Mission Board. He breaks down our misunderstandings of what the church is and even of who God is and explains how we can begin to equip and activate all the people of God to engage in God's mission right where we live, work, and play. Brad joins us by phone, and just as a heads up, it was a stormy day, so the audio is a little less than perfect. To make it more interesting, we even had a couple of freight trains rumble by. What Brad has to say, however, is crucial, so it's worth paying close attention. Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mark. It's great to be with you today. You know, I see regular reports about how badly our society struggles with loneliness and isolation in the broader society, and and I also see it in my men's group at church. The the book, Next Door As It Is in Heaven, that you co-authored with Lance Ford a couple of years ago, is a real eye-opener in regard to how we've come to be so fragmented in our personal and social lives. And that fragmentation clearly plays a role uh, it's, it's an obstacle to the spread of the gospel. It causes us to be more ineffective as believers and congregations in our mission to make disciples of Christ. And my understanding is that you're convinced that our failure to completely and genuinely engage our neighbors with the gospel is rooted in a widespread misunderstanding about the nature of church and of mission, and that Perhaps we only find the solution to the first problem when we correct the second. Would you talk with us a little bit about the why of both church and mission? Yeah, that's really good. I like what you just said, Mark. Uh, now, being in 100% agreement with you that we do live in a time of uh, fragmentation, the, the level of isolation and loneliness is just uh, off the charts in, throughout North America and the neighborhood we live. And I certainly think better than us as far as Jesus, we, we have the solution or the answer for that. And you better than us to kind of step into uh, that loneliness and isolation and, and bring the gospel. But like you said, I over the last, I would say, probably 10 years, maybe longer, uh, I just have an increasing conviction that before we can talk about the practical kind of re-neighboring our neighborhood, the practical aspect of the missionary behaviors and activities. Um, in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and social spaces in our communities. I've just grown increasingly convinced, uh, as you just said, that, that we need to start with the why before we talk about the what or the how. So in other words, I'm convinced there's some kind of theological foundations or sometimes I'll use the language of paradigm shifts that we need to seriously consider before we actually begin practical missionary behaviors. So how often languages you just did uh, of why before the what and the how. So uh, sometimes kind of, you know, in a silly way, I'll say if, if you've been church for a very long time or if you've been 
but I do think they they actually kind of inform our missionary behaviors in our neighborhoods, but then also, in a sense, I think they give us the, the motivation, or you might say the fuel, to actually engage our neighborhoods. So loving our neighbors in it isn't just a program that the church is asking us to engage in, but it, it actually becomes a part of who we are. So those two foundational paradigm shifts, the first one is what I just call the missionary nature. So I'm convinced that if, you know, if we've been church for a very long time, lots of people in North America, lots of Christians, I'm afraid, uh, have a, a little bit of a misguided understanding of the nature or ethics of the church. Um, so what I'll usually do if I have a you know a half a day or maybe even a whole day of uh, opportunity of training, I'll start with what I call the missionary nature of God. So we'll we'll revisit kind of the grand narrative of We'll revisit the, the overarching of Scripture just to help people see that God is a missionary God, that God is constantly calling men and, men and women out and sending them to participate in different purposes. So I, I want people to see that it's actually an attribute of God. God is a missionary God, and the overarching story of Scripture is all about mission. It's all about God reconciling all of creation back to Himself. Now, I'll usually take about an hour, and we'll just work through multiple passages throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, both, so people really get a picture that, oh, wow, I, I miss it sometimes, but yes, God is a missionary God. Well, the reason that's important is I'll say that the nature and essence of the church is rooted in the missionary nature of God. So in other words, if God is a missionary God, and, and I believe He is, then we as people are missionary. So another way I'll say that sometimes, but I'll, I'll say the church doesn't just send missionaries. The church is a missionary. So we do send and support missionaries, and that's a good thing. But we need to see that we individually and collectively, we're, we're the missionaries. So I like to say, you need to see that you are a sent missionary person, and then collectively the church is a sent missionary people. Well, when the paradigm shift comes into play there, is that the vast majority of people, I would argue, in the church today, they don't see themselves that way. They don't they don't see themselves as a missionary. You know, if you ask most people in the church, hey, what's a missionary? They would talk about the paid professional. They would talk about the person that we send to foreign fields and faraway land. They wouldn't see that they're actually a sent missionary person. The way we'll say it a lot of times is where you live, work, and play. So you've been sent to where you live for a purpose been sent in your workplace for a purpose. You've been sent into the social spaces that happen throughout the week for a purpose. So they need to see themselves as a sent missionary person. But then also that they need to have a paradigm shift in the way that they see the church collectively. And I think most people today, they either see the church as what I would call a place where certain things happen. <laughs> so so the church is actually this place that people go to one day a week at a certain time of day do certain things, or I would say actually most people, or the majority of people in North America today, they actually view the church as a vendor of religious goods and services. So the church is actually a place they go to to consume of religious goods and services like great worship music and preaching and youth programs, children's ministry. And so where the paradigm shift needs to come into play is, is I want to help people in the church get a new understanding of the nature and essence of the church, and they see the church as a called and sent 
of God. We are, of course, a gathered people, but we're also a scattered people. So you see how that first paradigm shift, I think, helps to inform our, the way we neighbor because we begin to see that we live where we live for a purpose. God has actually sent us there to think and behave like a missionary. So that's a huge paradigm shift, I think, for most people. But I'm just convinced that until we see ourselves as missionary people, um, we we just won't engage our neighborhoods the way we're missing. Um, and then just real quickly, let me tell you the second one, and then we, and then we can talk about this more if you'd like. But the second paradigm shift for me is kind of the other side of the same coin, and it's what I call incarnational mission. So I do think as you start this podcast and said there's kind of two big whys, you know, it's, it's about the church and mission. But the first one is we need to see where are missionary people in the church. But then the second thing is not, it's important that we see where are missionary people, but that's not good enough. We also need to see or understand that we need to embed our lives and the gospel into a local context. So yes, we are a set of people, but also we need to take responsibility for we need to like put down roots and stay in a particular location. And I would argue one of those locations is our neighborhood. So the way sometimes I'll kind of frame that second paradigm shift of what I call incarnational mission is simply to say that we must allow the incarnation of Jesus to inform our posture or our context. So in other words, we need to see the incarnation of Jesus in a sense as almost a model for an example of how we need to do life with people. So, you know, the two passages I, I, I focus on most of the time whenever I really unpack the second paradigm shift and incarnational mission, I think the New Testament picture is John chapter 1, verse 14. So most people are familiar with that passage. You know, most English translations talk about Jesus came to tabernacle with us or Jesus came to dwell among us. But I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that passage in the message. He renders that verse like this. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved. Well, for me, that's a New Testament picture of incarnation mission. Mm-hmm. That as Jesus lives in us and through us, in a sense, we move into this. We put down roots and we take responsibility for the place of God has been done. And then an Old Testament picture for me of the incarnational presence is Jeremiah 29. You know, where the Israelites, that God had sent them into Babylonian exile. And they didn't want to be there. They hated there. But the Babylonians were wicked. They were in a very hostile land. They wanted to go back home. But God said, no, I've got other plans. And then he gives them really instructions of how he wants them to put down roots and stay and, and, and pray for the welfare and seek the welfare. Well, I think that's a beautiful Old Testament picture of incarnational presence. So, all that to say, I just think when we have time to seriously reflect on those two paradigm shifts or theological foundations, they will inform our missionary behaviors and activities. So, they'll kind of inform what it really looks like to embed our lives into a neighborhood, take responsibility for the neighborhood, and, and, and really desire the welfare, seek the welfare of our neighborhood. When we see that we're a sent missionary people, but then also that we embed our lives in the gospel in that local context. That's excellent. So, 
if we make these shifts in understanding um, the, the why, um, how does that wind up being reflected in practical ways with our how in daily life? Well, so, um, you know, and I've already alluded to a couple of them. I, mm-hmm. I think first we see that we, I think the beginning point for me in all of that is that we see ourselves as, as a missionary person. So um, that we don't just live where we, you know, that we live, we live where we live for a, a, a very particular person. God actually has a, a purpose for us living there. So then once we see that we're sent into that place, once we see that we, we need to kind of put down reasons about God's mission. And I would argue it's all about God's mission. We just have to figure out how do we like 
Excellent. So how does all this play out in your role as director of bivocational church planning uh, for the North American yeah. Mission Board? How are y'all tackling yeah, that? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so yeah, so for about 17 or 18 years, I've been what's called uh, a church planning catalyst, uh, which means I just help to recruit and train folks and resource church planters. For the last couple of years, I've taken a, a more of a national role that we're just calling it. You just said, Mark, director of bivocational church planning. Really what that's about uh, is helping church planters rethink church planting. And where all of this fits into that for me, is I want church planters today, okay, here's the way I'll usually plan it, is I'll say in an increasing missionary context in which we now live, you need to start with missionary behavior perspective. So in other words, historically, when we talked about starting a new church, what, what most church planters meant is they were going to start a Sunday morning worship service. And I'm not against a Sunday morning worship service. I would just argue that today in a missionary context, uh, it's not... It's unwise for us to start there. So in other words, I want to see church planters uh, move into a neighborhood, put down roots, begin to think and act like a missionary in that context, and then and then work their way to a Sunday morning worship service, but don't start with a Sunday morning worship service. Instead, we need to start with missionary behaviors and activities, we need to begin to make disciples, and then eventually we get to a gathering. But again, historically, we usually started with the gathering. And then what happened, unfortunately, in many cases, is we, we kind of went at it with more of a consumeristic mindset. So we would provide these religious goods and services. We'd try to attract people to the programs and activities of the church. And then we'd try to make disciples. And I just think in, in the context, in most, most North American contexts today, um, that just isn't the way to go about it. That we, because we live in a missionary context, we need to start in our local context uh, with missionary behavior perspective, make disciples, and then let the church be burst out of that. So, really, in all the writing that I do, and then also any time that I have, you know, the opportunity to do training with church planters, I almost always start with some of these key paradigm shifts. Because I, again, I want to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page on what our motivation is. And, and, and those paradigm shifts should shape and inform our missionary behaviors. Then we'll move to the missionary behaviors and activities. And then later we'll talk about what does this look like to begin to form a biblical community that would include, you know, maybe a weekly gathering. But I just want to make sure, sure church planters don't start with a weekly gathering. So really, you know, all the conversation we just kind of started with this podcast, even about the book that we wrote a couple years ago, Next Door to Heaven. That book is really about helping people in the church better understand uh, how can we step into that isolation and loneliness in our neighborhood. But I, I still think before people do that, I want them to really think about some of these theological foundations or some of these why questions, just so they better understand why are they doing this? You know, why, why is it important for us to, um, you know, love, as Jesus said, love, love your neighbor? Um, I, I want I want them to have a very good kind of theological foundation, but I would say really also a missiological foundation. Like, so what is, what's behind uh, our missionary behavior connected? So I just was working with church planters. I just think it's really important to start with the paradigm shifts, then move to missionary behaviors and activities, and eventually get 
So if I'm in a church and it's a traditional congregation and now I'm feeling like we've been getting the cart before the horse, uh, where do we start? Where do we turn, who do we turn to uh, to make a paradigm shift like this? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I tell, so I, you know, over the last 10, 12 years, I've worked a lot with the congregation that uh, our desire is, you just said, to begin to make some shifts in more of a missional direction. They just realize that what used to kind of work in the past just doesn't work anymore. So they realize something's not quite right. You know, they, they might not go put their finger on it, but they know something's got to be different. So even in those cases, once again, I'll always say, got to start with a why, we've got to start with the paradigm shifts, but then I do think there's other really practical things they can do to get to start to make those shifts. Uh, one of them is story. So I'll tell them, look, you need, to, you need to find the people that are already doing this in your church, or what sometimes are called early adopters, it's those people that uh, they get this, and when you start to have conversations with them, you know, around these topics, they're the people that say, oh, this really resonates with me, I've been thinking like this for two or three years, and I find those people that are already doing this and you need to find those early adopters and then you need to encourage them, you need to resource them. The word I use a lot of times is activate. You need to activate them um, and equip them, release them into engaging in God's mission and then capture their stories and then tell, tell their stories over and over and over again to the rest of the congregation. So I think the stories really help to kind of crack open the initial imagination I think stories is a big part of it. Another big part of language is just, you know, what is the language that we use in print, but also even when we gather, is the language we're using uh, encouraging people to live out missionary lifestyles, or is it, or is it a barrier of sorts? Uh, another huge piece to help people kind of move towards this uh, is what I call scorecards. So what is it that you count? What is it that you what is it that, is, that people in your congregation would say is important? So here, here's an example of what I mean by that. If the, if the only thing you ever measure or count is how many people show up on Sunday morning, well, then people are going to be thinking, oh, this must be the most important thing to us because we count how many people show up on Sunday, and we kind of judge how well are we doing by that particular measurement. But I would argue, well, what if we started counting things like missionary behavior activities? What if we started counting how many had every week with lost people? What if we started counting how many people you had in your home every week? Uh, and you can count those that are a part of the church, but also those that are, that are not a part of the church. And, you know, how, what if we started counting how many hours people tutor children at the local elementary school? I mean, there's all kinds of different things we can count and measure that I think would give us a better indication of the real influence the church is having on the community. But it would also say to people in the church, here's what we value. And those sorts of things start to kind of create a new culture. You know, the language, the stories, the scorecards, what do we celebrate? Those start to kind of create a new culture within the church. And it's really that culture that begins to help the church move kind of outside the church walls. Um, and, you know, the other thing I, I say to leaders in existing churches all the time is be patient. None of this stuff happens overnight. You know, if we, you know, if, a lot of times I'll say that, you know, what we got here by four or five decades of church growth. Um, so people have kind of like been decisive. 
know, consider the language that you use, you know, what you celebrate, who are the heroes within the church, and then and they consider counting and measuring these things. All of that kind of together, I just say that has, has helped existing congregations to make incremental shifts and more of an outcome. That's excellent. So can you suggest some resources that will help folks dig deeper into this and begin making yeah. a shift? Yeah, there's just been some, just a lot of really good writing uh, the last, really, 10, 15 years, I would say. Um, you know, uh, another theme in all of this that's, I think, is very important is what I call biblical hospitality. That is a chapter that I wrote on that in our book, that's what's in seven. But probably my favorite book on biblical hospitality is written by a woman named Christine Poole. O-H-L, but it's called Making Room. And she gives kind of a historical view of hospitality in the church, but it, that's probably my number one favorite book on true biblical hospitality. Hmm. And then a couple other books I'd recommend, really one of my favorite books to just kind of rethink our uh, neighborhoods or our communities is called Abundant Community. It's written by a guy named uh, Peter Block. Um, I, I recommend that book a lot. Um, you know, and a lot of this is, you know, Lance and I have, have uh, you know, incorporated a lot of Peter Block and Christian Pools and other people's writings in our book, Next Words of Heaven. Mm-hmm. But then also I've got some friends out in Denver that wrote a book a few years ago called uh, The Art of Neighboring. Mm-hmm. That's also very helpful. Um, and then for real practical uh, kind of missionary activities, Behaviors. I, I would highly recommend another book written by a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Michael Frost. He wrote a little book called Surprise the World. And it's about just real simple missionary rhythms that we can all live out in our neighborhoods. Uh, so the, 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 those would be kind of three or four of my favorites that I think are just super practical and kind of good places to start. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so how can our listeners... Uh follow you? How can they get in touch with you if they want to hear more of your thoughts on these things? Well, there's a there's a blog that I've been doing for, gosh, it's probably been close to 15 years now. The address of that blog is missionalchurchnetwork.com. Missionalchurchnetwork.com. And um, so really, anytime I read anything that I think would be helpful for people about missionary behavior, the paradigm shifts, or neighboring, any of that, I'll, I'll post it on that blog. So, you know, someone would go there, they'll see there's lots of different posts and articles on all these topics. There's links to other resources and, and, and sites uh, that I think are helpful. Um, and then also, I, I use social media a lot. And again, I really use social media more as like a, to point people to resources. So, uh, you know, Twitter is probably a pretty good place to connect. So my Twitter account is just my name, Bradley Briscoe. So just at Bradley Briscoe, and Briscoe is without a E. A lot of times people like to put you know, Briscoe, but it's just Bradley and then Briscoe, B-R-I-S-T-O. But really, either the blog or, or Twitter or a couple of uh, just super easy ways to connect. That's excellent. We'll have links to all of those books um, as well as to the uh, the blog site and your Twitter account on a, in the episode notes on our website, godsrevolution.net. Um, Brad, I'm deeply grateful for the time you spent. This has really been just excellent. Well, I appreciate it, Mark. Yeah, there's not a whole lot uh, that I enjoy talking about more than, than, than the paradigm shift and it's part of the 
I know time is precious, and we're grateful for your gift of time. Thank you. All right. Thank you. It's good, good to have some time with you. I love the conversation. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. We have links to Brad's blog, as well as the great resources he mentioned, in the episode notes on our website, godsrevolution.net. If you have a heart for issues of kingdom justice, please visit our sister site, multiplyjustice.net, which is a clearinghouse for information about a wide range of justice issues, as well as various types of helpful resources and also contact information for trusted partners who can help you do justice in whatever arena God is calling you to serve. The God's Revolution podcast is a production of the Multiply Justice Network.